Hello and welcome to our first book spotlight of 2021 on the Queer Romance Readers Discord server. I'm Rachel, one of the server moderators. And I'm Ella. And this week we are spotlighting Better Than People and we are delighted to be interviewing the author, Roan Parrish. Hi, Roan. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm so terribly sorry that I completely screwed up the time. It was completely my fault. And thank you all for checking back in. Ah, oh, don't worry. Time zones. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> but um, to get us started, uh, would you just tell us a little about yourself and how you got into writing? Yeah, uh, I've always been a pretty rabid reader, as I imagine is not uncommon to hear. And I remember being little and being like, gosh, being a writer must be the best job in the entire world because you get to just like make shit up all day. Um, and then fast forward years and years and years. And obviously I didn't think that it was possible to ever be a writer because everyone knows that the things you want when you're a child are totally out of reach. Um, and I went to grad school and I was going to be an English professor and I really liked it, but, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily for me. And one day I was visiting a friend and she was, she had just moved. She was having kind of a hard time. And she was like, she was also a nerdy reader and was like, oh, I really wish that I had a book about someone who's going through the same things that I'm going through. And so I was like, oh, I'll write you a book. It'll be great. And I was kind of kidding, but then on the plane ride home, I started writing this little story that I was going to send to her. And it actually ended up being the book that would be my first novel in the middle of somewhere. And I, I emailed her the, the little story that I wrote on the plane, thinking that she would just be like, oh, you're so cute and nerdy. But she wrote back and said, what happens? I have to know. And I was like, well, nothing. I don't know. I just made it up. Um, but then I wrote her another chapter and another, and I kept emailing them to her. And before I knew it, I had kind of written a book and I had loved doing it and it was so fun. And that is sort of how the rest is history, I guess. I love that. That is <laughs> best that's the best answer to that question I've heard. You did it for a friend. <laughs> yeah, I totally did it for a friend. Didn't realize I was I was writing a book and uh, I mean, I will say, I think if you read that book, you can kind of tell that I didn't know it at the time I was writing a book. It's a bit meandery, but um, yeah, I feel like uh, I, it was so fun and I liked it so much more than what I was doing at the time, which was teaching, um, that I decided I would go for it. And I never thought it would be, I would be here like five years later having it as an actual career, but I am certainly really goddamn grateful that it is. That's so interesting. And it makes me wonder if that kind of shaped the way that you approach writing as a whole, because you kind of had this audience in mind from the very, very, very beginning before you even realized you were writing books. Do you, do you think that that's, I don't know, do you think that that kind yeah. of impacted you in, in how you think about the projects that you're working on? Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think that's such a smart thing to point out. And I had not really made that connection that my friend, Annika, who is the one I was writing it for, she really was my ideal reader. Um, like that's a term that people talk about a lot in marketing where they're like, who's your ideal reader, right? Your ideal reader. And I think you're right that with that book, she literally was my ideal reader. I didn't think anyone else would ever see it. I had no intention of publishing it. Um, and so I was really writing it with like what she would find funny or interesting in mind and there are actually a bunch of like inside jokes in there one of the academics is based on someone who was a professor when we were in grad school um and so i, I that was certainly true of that book <clears throat> but i think now when i'm writing i definitely am thinking of an ideal reader who is still very much like annika which is someone who's like very smart reads lots of different genres not only romance is super socially conscious uh, loves romance because it's really about like the power that feelings can have in the world and the change that they can affect and likes the same kind of sense of humor or like has the same kind of sense of humor as me. And yeah, I think that still really is my ideal reader. And I would probably be writing different books if I had a different ideal reader. So that's, I think that's a really smart thing to point out. Well, thank you for calling me smart. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy your books, so I must be smart and socially Aww. conscious and all these That's things. Great. Let me 
needed to know to know that about myself. Exactly. So is Annika still a reader of yours? Do you still yeah. share drafts with her or or how does I, that relationship? Do. Yeah, it's great. Um she and also another friend of mine who happens to be her sister, Jenny, um, we have known each other since grad school and they're they're both English professors now and I, you know, got out of that game. But um yeah, I still send them. They're my only I've never used beta readers or anything like that, but I I still do send them everything that I write and they are, let me tell you, way harsher than any professional editor I've ever worked with. Um in a great way. Like I think that they uh, because they already knew me before I started writing, they kind of knew what I was going for with things. And so sometimes they'll write me comments that are like, I think that you kind of were going for this, but it actually didn't land that way. It, it skewed completely this other way. So you should just know that. And I think that's something that is really unique to people who know you and know your work, uh, even if they're not professional editors. Yeah, that's amazing. Sorry, Ella, I got off script a little bit, but. <laughs> yes, um, can you describe your writing process? Yeah, um, I am, I think people talk about like being a plotter versus a pantser, like someone who comes up with all the story beats in advance versus someone who just sort of jumps in and writes. And I, I think I'm kind of in between. Um, usually when I come up with an idea or like usually the first things about a story that spark in my mind are not plot related. Um, they're much more like a thing that I see a, a picture of on Instagram, like a place that I really like and want to write something set in or I hear a weird uh, story about someone getting mauled by squirrels and I'm like, what would your life have to be like to be mauled by squirrels? And suddenly I'm like, well, I definitely need to write a book about it. Um, so my process kind of, it's usually like I, my brain will latch onto one or two particularly shiny things and say, oh, we're going to write a book about that. And then once that's in my head, other like I'll start kind of seeing the world through the lens of that thing and then all these other little tidbits I guess will sort of fil be filtered through that so in if we pretend that I'm actually writing a book about someone mauled by killer squirrels um, then if I'm like walking to the subway or something and I see a squirrel just like sitting very still on the pavement I'll see it through the lens of that book and be like, what is the squirrel? Like, are they waiting for their next victim? Are they trying to seem cute and unassuming? Um, and so then it just sort of spins off from there. And I, I kind of, thought, that was obviously not a, an example of a book I'm actually going to write, but um, I start kind of like having this repository of things in the world that are all centered around or magnetized around that idea and then like once I start once I have enough of them my brain kind of goes oh here there are characters now and this is what they sound like and I guess this is what the plot has to be given x y or z so it's almost like a an accretive process of stuff washing up on shore and like I put it in a box and then when there's enough stuff in the box then I sit down and I'll try to put it into some kind of order um, and in terms of like the actual writing process, I, um, I don't care about plot terribly much. Um, like there, I feel like if you have, if you have good characters and like interesting characters, they could be doing almost anything and I'll, I'll be excited about that. So if I think of my favorite characters from my favorite books, you could put them in almost any situation and I would be excited to read about them. So I care a lot more about thinking through who my characters are and how they're going to relate to one another than I do about the plot. Um, I think of plot as much more of like a, a necessary engine to get my characters where I want them to go. Um, and yeah, so then when I'm writing, I, I definitely am more thinking in terms of internal emotional beats than external, like this thing has to happen at this time. Um, which is probably why, you know, I don't write mystery novels or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, and, and I am, I am super anal about my word count. That's the one like real or not, not like I'm, I'm very assiduous with tracking it um, because I have this real deep inability to know how long things take, as you might've guessed from my time issue earlier. And so I am. Um, <laughs> I plot out like on my calendar when I have to turn a book in 
And then I, I use um, a software that tells me like, if you write X words a day for this many days, you will hit your deadline. And so then because uh, I don't trust myself to keep track of it, I look at that every day. And if it says I have to write 300 or 3,876 words, I'm like, great, I have to write 3,876 words. Um, so it's like my, my little gospel of word count, which that might've been way more than you wanted to know about writing process, but. No, it was all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I do agree. I find, you know, plots that are, it's always best, I think, for a character to drive the plot rather than for the plot to kind of dictate what the characters. Yeah. It can feel contrived. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. And I love, you know, I read lots of different genres and I think in, in things like horror or mystery or or sci-fi the plot is more important but i still like if i love the characters i will read a happily read a book about them doing anything if i don't like the characters there is not a plot in the world that could save it for me and make me interested in reading so i definitely am like as a reader and a writer someone who cares a lot more about character than about plot Okay, well, for people who may not have read Better Than People yet, what should they know about the book and why should they give it a try? Yeah, um, so Better Than People is my first book that's not set in either Michigan, uh, Philadelphia, or New York. It's set in Wyoming in this little town that I made up called Garnet Run. And I I went to... Um, Speaking of my dear friend, Annika, who I wrote that first book for, um, she and a number of my other grad school friends and I try to get together every year. And a couple of years ago, we went to Wyoming um, and we rented this cabin and it was just the most beautiful, natural place I'd ever seen. And it was cartoonish almost like the person who we were renting it from explained that there was all this bird seed out there. And if the, if we put bird seed in our, our palms and sat still, the chipmunks would jump on our palms and eat the bird seed out of our hands. And so obviously I then spent my entire trip sitting very still and letting chipmunks jump on my hands and eat bird seed out of them. Um, but I was so charmed by, by Wyoming and the landscape and everything that I, I decided to set this series there. Um, so it's set in Garnet Run, Wyoming, and it's really the story about a sort of grumpy, grumpy guy uh, who's just had a real heartbreak, a friend heartbreak, not a romantic heartbreak. Um, so Jack is a children's book illustrator, and he's been collaborating with a friend for years on their books, and the friend kind of sells him out. And so he's pretty much like grouchily being a recluse in his own, in his cabin in Wyoming, and little by little, he starts rescuing all these animals. So like dogs and cats, um, he just ends up with this pack of rescue animals. And instead of dealing with people, he just gets excited every morning and every evening to take his animals on this long, rambling walks and look at the beauty of Wyoming. Um, unfortunately, right when the book opens, he chases after one of his dogs and ends up breaking his leg. And so he can't walk the the animals anymore, which is like the one thing that's been kind of his saving grace. And so he has to place an ad or use using this app to match him with someone to help with the animals. And he gets matched um, with this super shy guy who is like, has a a deep anxiety disorder um, and really likes animals better than people because he's used to people being scary and, and not nice to him. Um, and so the two of them build this relationship basically out of um, the one character coming over every morning and every evening to walk the dogs. So they see each other twice a day for just a few minutes and then little by little start to know each other better and really through connecting over the, their love of these animals end up falling in love with each other. Um, and so it was kind of like, I wanted it to be a love story, not just about people, but about loving the place where you live, about the love that we can have for animals and about the way those things are actually super important in love stories with humans. Um, I think so often I read or like even hear about friends' romances and I'm kind of like, great, that sounds neat that you like each other a lot, but like, what's your plan to take over the world together? Or what, what values do you share? What things are you both obsessed with? 
Um, and I think that this book was me kind of trying to create these two characters who have a similar view of what, what world they want to live in and how to, how to bring it into being. I love that. I think, um, I, I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it just now, but one of the things that I don't see a lot in novels is this friend breakup that you mentioned, but Mm. that is such a, for most of us in our if we're adults, like that has probably happened at least once. And it is like a, an untold pain, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but that can be so painful. And I think, um, at when I, when I was reading the book, I was not focused on it, but that was a really relatable thing that, that Jack was going through. Um, so I agree. You have kind of friends. I think we've all gone through that. And I find out when you kind of break up with a friend, it's never seen, as important, but I know what happens to me. I will like listen to the same like relationship breakup songs. Yeah, yeah, and I think that for uh, like for for people who their friends are a big part of their life, um, losing someone like that is like you lose a, the part of your history that you had with that person. You lose all the plans that you made with them exactly the way you do in a in a romantic breakup. And one of the things that I think is especially true like for queer people is that your group of friends is really really tight and close and often they provide for you a lot of the same things that romantic relationships provide or maybe that your own family doesn't provide for you and so those um the loss of those friendships i think can be even more intense and so yeah i wanted to get that in there somehow and show that it like really does impact the way that person thinks of all relationships, not just friendships or not just romantic relationships. Yeah. So you might have kind of given us some clues about this when you were talking about your visit to Wyoming and kind of your process of gathering things into a box. So (laughs) was Wyoming the setting, I guess, the first place that went into your your box for for this series? Or was it something else, if you remember? Gosh, it's a great question. Um, I think actually the first thing that went into my box was, I don't remember where I heard about this, but maybe when I was, so I live in Philadelphia and um, my sister and her wife live just like three blocks away from me, four blocks away from me. And so we hang out all the time and they have a dog and they, for, for like one year, they were members of this neighborhood private dog park in in West Philadelphia and there are like tons of public parks all around but this is one of those part one of those like dog parks specifically that you need to pay dues and like you get a key and it's super weird um and so they did it for this one year and i remember going walking their dog with them into this dog park and hearing someone one of the other humans with a the dog there say something like oh uh my sister wants to have a play date with muffin or whatever her name was later and thinking about how adorable it was that like to schedule a play date with an animal and then i was thinking about that like oh sure actually for people who like animals but don't have one either because they live in an apartment where they can't have pets or maybe they're allergic or their their partner is allergic or they can't afford it or whatever um it would be it's so sweet to think of like taking your having a play date with your sister's dog or something and i was like oh there's got to be an app like that right that matches people to like oh you're looking for a date with a cat well here you know like a yeah like a dating app for people seeking animals um and so once i was thinking about that i was like oh my god i have to write a book where it's a meet cute where people meet over an app that matches dog or like animal havers with animal wanters. Um, And I think that was the very first thing in the box. And when I was in Wyoming and was like, oh, I definitely want to set a book here. I was like, oh, well, the, um, the app dog or animal matching app could totally be the same book as the Wyoming book because you can have an app anywhere. And so I think once I put those two things together, it was sort of like a random, I have this thing I want to do and I have this place that I want to explore. And then once I put them together, other little pieces of the puzzle fell into place. So I was thinking like, okay, if this were set in New York City, I wouldn't have this guy have this many animals because if you have a like a one bedroom apartment and you have 20 animals, that's cruel. But in Wyoming, he really, he could have more than one or two animals. What if he had a ton of animals? Um, and so like, that's kind of how I, 
put pieces together is is take the pieces that I have that I know I want to use and then sort of say like, well, what's the logic by which I can eliminate certain things or like uh, magnetize others? Yes, I already yeah, want this app that. to exist. The app is genius. So, <laughs> but I also, I would have thought you made up, um, I didn't really, th I don't know. I guess I, I knew you made up the app, but like it felt, you know, it was easy to suspend my disbelief because it seemed like a thing that should exist. But I wouldn't have believed you if you had told me in a oh. novel that there was like a dog country club where you had to be a member and have a key. <laughs> you know, and it's not even, what's so ridiculous is it's not even anything nice like a country club. It's a literal like one block square of grass surrounded by a fence. That's all it is. And the idea that that like it's privatized somehow and you have to pay 10 bucks a month to be able to walk your dog there. It's so ridiculous. And they only did it for a year after which they were like, screw these people. We'll just go to the Red River Park. Uh, but it's, it's absurd. That is, I've only ever been to public dog parks, but I also live in the Midwest, which is, you know, kind of land rich, I guess we've right, got, right. got space for public dog parks, which are also kind of gross, but you know, they're yeah. free. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm off the, I'm off the script again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now without too many spoilers um what was your favorite part about writing better than people oh gosh um i think my favorite part well so one of the um one of the things that i really enjoyed about it was so simon the the character who has anxiety um there's I think that there are a lot of misconceptions that people have about anxiety and people who have anxiety disorders and they sort of um, combine or conflate ang anxiousness with shyness in this way that I think is pretty inaccurate for a lot of people. Of course, there are people who are both shy and anxious, but um, there are so many people who have anxiety about things and it's not the same as being shy. And so one of the things that I was really interested in exploring with Simon's character is like what it feels like to be especially a like a person raised male in our society where we have certain expectations of like extroversion, confidence, strength, not showing fear. Um, what would it be like to be someone raised male in Wyoming in that in that way who is who has like a super intense anxiety disorder? And as I was writing that character, I was I, I found myself sort of like sinking into that idea of what it would be like to, as a kid, probably be labeled shy because that's something we say about children. Um, you know, hiding behind your parents' legs or not wanting to talk to strangers. It's really an easy pat label to put on a kid that they're shy. And the implication is that they're going to grow out of it. And so one of the things that Simon then had to cope with as a person growing up was that his whole childhood, people had said, don't worry, he'll grow out of it to his parents. And then instead of growing out of this shyness, he grew into this intense anxiety that would plague him for the rest of his life. Um, and dealing with that from his character's point of view, while also being someone who is actually a really strong person, um, the writing the struggle there of like being perceived one way, feeling a very different way, coping with still another third thing. Uh, I think that was my favorite part of the book. And I won't, I won't give away any of the like actual milestones he achieves. But one thing that I did think was really important and that I was glad to be able to do in the book was um, to make it clear that like falling in love with someone does not erase your anxiety and does not turn you into a person who used to have one brain and now has another brain. And so there are some some bits of the book where you see once Jack and Simon are together, um, you can still see Simon having anxiety um, and I, yeah, I was really excited to be able to write a character that had that journey and ended up great, but still like was himself essentially. Yeah, I found it really heartbreaking when he's describing being able to kind of find comfort in his parents when he was younger and then seeing how they just turned away from him. Yeah, and I think that this is something that is really common um, in like, especially for for people raised male is like when you're a child it's okay for a little while to display some some weakness but then at a certain point 
any comfort for that thing gets like ripped away from you without any discussion. I, I mean, toxic masculinity, right? But like, it's really heartbreaking. So I wanted to portray that as well. So you kind of touched on this a bit already with that answer, but yeah, about Simon, I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that I'm a huge fan of his character. But, um, what made you want to tell his story? Um, I, I wanted to write a character who, ha- like, who struggled with, um, I'm trying to, I'm not sure exactly the right word, like, someone who feels really different on the inside than they seem on the outside. So, like, people perceive Simon as being, yeah, shy and uh, kind of uh, shrinking and a little bit weak and but inside simon is uh sarcastic and funny and rather cheeky and so and i think you get to see that in his interactions with jack once they are more comfortable with one another and so i really wanted to write a character who was like who from the point of view of the other person like jack at first seemed one way but then when we were in his point of view um he felt very different on the inside Yeah, I think that definitely came across in a compelling way. I thought that um, one of the things that I admired so much about Simon was how he definitely he was dealing with his anxiety, and that was a big part of his life, managing that. But he had tools for it. Like his his mental health was was really good in a lot of ways. Like he he affirmed himself. He had a he had a you know not. I wouldn't say like an inflated ego or anything, but he had like a pretty healthy perception of himself and his value. And I thought that was really nice too. Like he had this, this, these difficulties, but they, you know, he didn't like um, collapse under the weight of them at all. And that was really Mm. nice. I feel like often um, characters who are differently abled or who are neuroatypical, the depiction is like kind of painful to read because they just feel kind of bowled over by the world. Mm-hmm. And I thought you balanced Simon having difficulties in situations for sure and things that he wasn't sure that he could do or wanted to do with him, like also having happiness in his life and knowing how to kind of take care of himself to an extent. I I thought that was really refreshing. Thank you. I'm so glad that you felt that way. I, I mean, I am someone who has struggled with like anxiety and depression before in my life. And one of the things that I think so many portrayals of both those things get wrong is the idea that like you as a person are lost inside those feelings as opposed to standing beside them um, to different degrees at different moments, of course. But like, I remember times when I was having um, panic attacks by myself in my room and also sort of like laughing hysterically because I was trying to get rid of the panic attack by doing six things at once to distract myself. And the, the sight of it was, I was sort of like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. Thank God I'm by myself. And there's no one to see me like listening to a, an audiobook while typing on my, typing the words onto a sheet of paper um, while like spinning around in circles to distract myself. This is so ridiculous. Um, and like while having a panic attack and it's um I, it felt really important to me to portray this character who was like like yeah people come up with coping mechanisms people have great and wonderful lives alongside these feelings and um, i think that it does no one any good or does no does people no service to suggest that in those moments they disappear as a person and are just a panic attack or a depressive episode or whatever like each of those episodes is as unique as the person having each of those episodes and they're still themselves while those things are going on. And I, that just is really important for me. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned earlier that you consciously didn't want to um, have this kind of fantastical curing of Simon (laughs) um, through his romance with Jack, which, um, and we actually in the server, some of the, we, this is something that we like as readers, the moderators, I know, because it's come up before. But I think it's a, it's really powerful to me, especially with this kind of um, struggle that is invisible, like you explained, you know, it's something that people don't understand as well. It seems like you should just feel better when you're happy, like you be happier and you'll feel better and you'll get better. And it's not, that it really isn't what it is. So yeah. 
I'm not being very articulate, but I appreciated that, that he, I think we got the sense that he was going to continue to, you know, explore what he was capable of and that he did draw some strength from his relationships and not just with Jack, but with other people, but that it wasn't going to, you know, it doesn't fix people. And I think that was, um, that was really nice to see. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm really glad. I, I always feel, um, like a certain amount of disappointment when I read a book that I otherwise really like. And then I see mental health represented as this kind of like, um, insert Pat struggle for character here. It's like, it goes away when it's not needed. Uh, the second they find love, it's revealed that actually, cause it, I, like it's fucked up to imply that what, that like not having a romantic partner actually had symptoms and those symptoms were depression or anxiety, which is basically being implied if they get fixed by having a romantic partner. And I don't think people intend it that way, but that's the way I read it when I read it. So I, I definitely wanted to avoid that. Yeah. When really having a romantic partner is a source of stress too. I mean, that's yeah. another pressure in your life. It's, um, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. It's a joyful thing. I mean, I hope if it's a healthy relationship, it's good for you in ways. But, um, and I think that was depicted here too. Like there's strain, um, mm -hmm. you know, for Simon to sort of stretch and expand and, um, and adjust to, to, um, incorporate that into his life that he has already kind of found some balance in. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's something I think that I, I have, felt in my own life and or like feared, I guess, in my own life. And so I definitely, I think it's a, a theme that I've touched on in, in a number of my books. If, if folks have read other ones is like that what's, what can be so powerful about romance is that this thing that simultaneously is bringing you so much joy is also like forcing you to step outside of the patterns and coping mechanisms and safe spaces that you've made for yourself. And so there's tons of joy in that. And there's like adventure and excitement and that's all wonderful, but also like all those things require that you sacrifice a certain amount of uh, autonomy and um, being able to do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself in the moment, no matter how weird or uh, selfish. And that's a scary thing to contemplate, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't want to neglect Jack in our conversation. <laughs> he is also, I thought, a very lovable character. And um, I wondered what made you think that he would be a good match for Simon. And if you kind of um, how the how the two of them came to be in your box, if you will, <laughs> if Simon got there first, if, if they kind of came together or how you not just with them, but with characters that are designed to be romantic leads for each other, how do they kind of take shape? Yeah, it's that's such a good question. And I think <clears throat> that's probably the thing that I think about most before I start writing um, is I, I think a lot of different, a lot of authors and publishers have like a formula for creating what a perfect match is, perfect meaning like to produce a readable book that is. Um, and I sort of, I, I'm a little more intuitive about it. Like I don't really have a formula for it. Um, I I tend to think that like it, it works to say, I want these people to be opposites in these few ways and similar in these few ways, but I don't find that very interesting as a thought exercise. And so usually what I, what I think about is like, um, which are the qualities in someone that when they develop later, like in a relationship would be challenging for the other person and which are the ones that they seem challenging at first, but then once the relationship is in process, they actually are super useful for the health of the relationship. So that was really unclear. I guess I try to think of like, <laughs> um, wow. It's I, like, sorry. No, no, I think that I don't think you were unclear. I think that okay. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. because if they're if they're too perfectly compatible and never have any conflict, that doesn't feel realistic or interesting. So they need to have some places where they can. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not really a fan of of um, enemies to lovers. Or I mean, I enjoy reading it. Okay, but um, 
if someone, when someone's my enemy, I like want them to get the hell away from me. The last thing that I feel is any kind of attraction. So I've, I've never been any good at, um, at writing that. So I don't really try anymore. And so similarly, I don't usually design characters who are like such shocking opposites that they could never be together realistically. Um, I think that my favorite kind or like my favorite way to think about characters is uh, falling, falling for each other is like, what is that first thing that they're going to notice about the other person that they're going to realize they're thinking of in a way that is romantic? So I, th I feel like this is, um, if you are a, a person who experiences romantic attraction, you probably have had this experience where like you have a friend or a person who delivers your groceries or whoever it is that you've seen more than once. And all of a sudden there's like one little quality about them that you're super charmed by, or you think is strangely attractive, or they say something and you're like, gosh, that was just the most delightful thing that anyone could have said in that exact moment in response to that thing. Um, and to me, those are like the glimmers of romantic attraction. Like, I mean, you can, lust is different. It's super easy to be like, so-and-so is hot. So I want to have sex with them. Uh, in a book, but like those glimmers are the thing that I'm most interested in because they they change the way the characters relate to one another. So for Jack, he's like pretty down on people when the book begins. He's not interested in relationships. He really has to depend on someone like Simon, even though he doesn't want to. And when he first meets Simon, he thinks he's pretty weird. Um, he, I mean, handsome, but pretty weird. Uh, and then it's just like little things where he starts to notice the way that Simon talks to his animals. And he's like, oh, well, that's pretty charming. And then he notices like small ways that Simon um, like glares at him when he thinks that he should be scared or something. And so he has these little tiny, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, like glimmer points or something that he starts to realize if you put them all together, they cohere into attraction. And I think those are the things that I really think about when I'm planning characters is like, what's the thing about Simon that Jack is initially going to, or first going to be like, oh, hell, that's so attractive and vice versa. And that's kind of how I, um, how I start thinking about it. Oh, I love that. So speaking of those things that are, going to be more like harder for them to reconcile their personality. Yeah. Do you have some things that you think would challenge that relationship? Um, some things about their personalities in the future? Of course, they're going to be happy forever because it's a oh, romance. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, the dynamic of, of having like different desires for the way you and you uh, experience or interact with the outside world is challenging and this better than people ended up being kind of like a non-snowy equivalent to a snowed in romance where because jack has a broken leg <clears throat> he they mostly hang out in in jack's cabin and most of i would say i think like 75 percent of the book takes place in jack's cabin and they deal with or they they talk about they process this idea of like what their relationship will look like outside that space but i think that one thing Simon is quite concerned about going forward and rightly so I would say is like, what about in a year or two years? Or what about in five years when Jack gets a bigger book deal and goes to New York and wants Simon to come with him? And Simon is like, I don't think I can do that. Um, those are, I think the kind of pressure points that it's not that Jack wouldn't understand or that Simon wouldn't understand. It's just that like, wanting something that your partner doesn't want is really hard. And there's this tendency to be like, okay, but if I can just explain to them why I want it, maybe I can change their mind. And in this case, it's not an explainable thing. So like nothing that Jack can explain will change the fact that Simon feels anxiety going in public. Um, so yeah, I think that that really could be a, a difficulty for them. But I think that kind of the way it happens in the book, no spoilers, um, that like if Jack can just shut up for a minute and understand what's going on, that he will be able to not be an asshole about it. <laughs> yeah, that's not a, that's not an inaccurate word for him. He is kind of like that lovable, grumpy asshole guy, yeah. which I was pretty into, frankly. Oh, good. <laughs> 
Well, I'll be really curious what you think in the next book then, um, where which is Charlie, his brother's book, because uh, Jack and Simon do appear in that book uh, from different perspectives. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, let's talk oh. about um, the pack or the amazing animals. So did you do a lot of research um, for them or did you have your own kind of house full of pets? I well I have I I am a I am a cat person um and I love I have my my cat and I love cats and so there was no research needed in terms of cat behavior um I like dogs too and my sister has a dog as I was mentioning so I I was sort of thinking of her dog um but I did sort of base the character of Bernard the large Saint Bernard on a dog in my neighborhood um, when I was a few apartments ago, I lived on South St. Bernard Street, which is a street in West Philadelphia, a really small street. And there was this woman who would walk her huge St. Bernard dog down the street. And so from my apartment, I would look out onto St. Bernard Street and see someone walking a St. Bernard. And I, I loved the dog. I thought it was so gorgeous. I just wanted to like hug it forever. But I also felt really positive that this woman just did this because she, she like, got a huge kick out of it every single day. Because that's 100% what I would do if I had a St. Bernard and there was a St. Bernard Street in the neighborhood. Um, and then one day in the summer, there's this um, craft fair that happens in my neighborhood at the, the cemetery. And I was there with my sister and her dog, Ruka, who he's like a little fox looking kind of dog. Um, and we were taking Ruka around the the craft fair and it was a really hot day and we saw that woman with her St. Bernard and it was so hot. The dog was so hot. I mean, cause it was like, it's huge and had all that fur that it had laid down in the pathway on its side with its legs straight out like a horse. Um, it was enormous and it was making like everyone walk around it. And it was so heavy that the woman could not move it. So she was just like, Hey, sorry, just me and my dog, just being a St. Bernard, here he is. Um, and Ruka was really delighted by this and went and like sniffed the St. Bernard and kind of um, stood next to him, like trying to be friends. And the St. Bernard just did not react. Like kids ran up and threw themselves onto the dog and like people wanted to pet the dog. I think some weirdo poked the dog with a stick. Like, and the St. Bernard just was not bothered by any of it. It was just like, I'm hot. I'm going to lie here. Nothing in the world is going to get to me. And I was so charmed by that, that when I realized I was going to write dogs, I had to write a St. Bernard. And that was kind of like what I was picturing was this was West Philly St. Bernard. I have to say, I do love Jack's very uncreative naming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the worst namer ever. It was helpful for a reader, though, you know, because like, yeah. it made it pretty easy to remember. Like, <laughs> that's exactly why I did it. But I had to have a, I had to write in an explanation for it because I'm really bad with names. And when I read books with like ensemble cast, I it takes me a while to remember who anyone is. And I think even if you like do a good job of um, giving pets personalities, if they have these names, they're super hard to remember unless they're like descriptive names. Like you can remember that the fluffy little white animal is named Snowball or something. So I was like, I have to simultaneously give these animals names that will make them memorable to the readers. But that's so boring that I have to like try to at least make it a joke. In some way. <laughs> that's good. Well done. I didn't even suspect. Oh, good. Don't tell. It's a huge secret. Just kidding. Now, was there anything that you edited out of this series? <sighs> Um, good question. I, I'm actually like in edits for book three in that series now. And so I, I know I did edit some stuff out, but I'm, I'm blanking on what it was. Oh, there was, um, I was going to do a little bit more with, um, Simon's grandmother, Jean, uh, this is no spoilers. Um, Simon, like at the beginning of the book, lives with his grandmother, Jean, who's allergic to animals, which is why he can't have animals of his own. Um, and I had a whole sub, like a uh, kind of secondary plot about for her and some things that they were going to do together. And I just didn't, um, Karina Press has like a shorter word limit than I sometimes write. And so I just didn't have space for it. 
but I, um, I actually just, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm writing a, like a serial short story for the Harlequin website for pride month. That's going to be like an eight part, uh, story that you get one part each week for eight weeks. And it's set in the Garnet run universe. And it has a little bit of the story that I was thinking for Jean in it. Um, so it got edited out, but it, it got saved. Oh my gosh. That's the best of both worlds. You didn't yeah. have you didn't have to kill your darling. You just had to um, put it on the back burner. Yeah, I just, I just, uh, what do you call it? Uh, where you can move from one place to another. Teleported her. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a favorite side character? Is that a hint? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I really like Van and Rachel, who are, um, Jack's friends from high school and her partner. Um, and I, they also appear in book two in the series and in the short story. And I was going to, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say this because then if I don't do it, but I'm really bad. I sometimes just say things that I'm thinking about. I, I want to write a little, um, like a spinoff story for them. That's a how Van and Rachel met little romance. Because uh, I really liked them and didn't really think that they got enough page time. Well, we won't hold you to it, but we will be waiting. So oh, good. No, it's good. Pester <laughs> me about it. Not too much. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to say, with, you know, carrying on with the grandma, I think she is one of my favorite characters. And I just found her unrelating, unrelating support of Simon. Yeah. yeah. So cute. And I also wanted to eat all of her cookies as well. Oh, good. Well, she also appears in the next book, too, and so do her baked goods, so. <laughs> I cannot wait. But where did you come from? Um, I, gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, I knew that Simon had to have a reason why he didn't, why he couldn't have animals of his own. And I knew, I liked this idea of him because he had had anxiety as a child, like having a, a, family member who wasn't his parents that he was really close with. So it sort of just sort of like came together perfectly that he would move in with his grandmother after her husband died. Um, but I just really like, I, at the risk of sounding super ageist, I just really like old people. I think they have amazing stories. I, I find them like so much less stressy sometimes than younger folks. Um, and I really enjoy like, especially older women who have stories to tell about their lives and like the way things have changed. And so I, I got excited to write Jean because, you know, usually like, I mean, I know that there's a mature romance subcategory, but not many romance novels have people like in their sixties and seventies. And so I just got excited to write this kind of like, uh, has been through a tragedy, but is coping with it by being a total boss grandma who like would burn the world down for her grandkids and, and smack anyone who treated him badly. Do you have a character in the novel that you relate to the most? Um, probably Jack. Um, in that I am, I am, I have certain antisocial tendencies and get really easily irritated at people sometimes. And pro approximately six times a week, I'm like, ugh, whatever, screw people. I'm just gonna go live in the woods. So you you said that you're currently working on the edits for the third book um yeah are you currently writing that or is there anything else you said that you had some short stories coming up yeah i do i'm actually super excited about this project i i just announced it the other day um it's a collaboration with my sweetie in real life actually uh who's an amazing musician um and so we i i love horror as a genre like movies and uh books and things but i the horror short story is probably my favorite in the genre i just think that they're so uh creepy and beautifully crafted and you can do such amazing things in them and i was i wanted to write some horror short stories and i was like oh wouldn't it be fun if i wrote some of the stories and you wrote music for them and then you wrote some music and i wrote stories inspired by the music and we just like collaborated on it and uh, we were working on it really just as like a passion project and they were going to release the music and I was going to release the book. Um, and then we accidentally, I mean, not accidentally, but we like just took a stab at it and just sold it to Audible. Um, so it's going to be 
uh, coming out this summer, I think. And it's, um, I think I can, yeah, it's called Strange Company. I think that was in the press release. And it's like, I don't know. I think it's pretty awesome. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It's, um, it's a different kind of work for me, but there definitely is still like threads of romance in it. Um, and I also think that I, like romance and horror feel very close together to me. And so I know that for some people who are not horror fans to go from being a romance writer to writing horror feels like a, quite a leap. But for me, I feel like it's, you've always got like hat one toe in, in either pot. Yes, no, do you know what? I have been trying to track down kind of really amazing horror romances. And so you see it's like a mixture of music and short stories in the audience. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the music, um, there's like themes for each story so that you'll hear the kind of like the main theme. But then within the stories, there are like pieces of music cued to certain things in the story, just like a, the score for a film. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I hope it will be. I don't know how I feel about horror. <laughs> but I'll totally. like guy. Yeah, totally reasonable. I know it's not everyone's jam. Um, I will say these are like not super scary horror. Um, so I don't be too afraid. Um, they're they're more sort of like atmospheric, eerie, creepy than like slasher movie monster eating kind of horror well that's probably good i, I always <laughs> say i'm just too easily haunted like i, I even yeah. stupid horror movies have made me afraid of like my tv for example oh yeah <laughs> well you should be afraid of your tv i don't need that you know i don't know yeah um, i think it's so reasonable and i also it's one of those things where i think i'm gonna try to um segment my newsletter because i know not everyone who follows me for romance things wants to like hear news of spookiness and i do not want i like especially at this moment in in the world um and just in general for some people so i don't want anyone who is like used to me talking about romance to think that i'm suddenly going to be sharing like terrifying things or anything i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it can you know locked under my basement <laughs> <laughs> so what we had planned to do next was to pass along any questions that we had from the members and Roan, I should have pointed you this in this direction when we started, but we do have like a accompanying text channel. Oh, okay. Spotlight discussion. So it's like two above the spotlight. Oh, yeah, topic. And yeah. so there's a few comments in there about what we've been talking about. And I just Aww. prompted for questions that they might have. Um, but if not, there is going to be plenty of time for that. Hopefully, you can stop by over the next several days and check the author Q&A channel and yeah, see if anyone popped oh in God. there with a question. Sorry, I, I, because I'm just seeing this. Um, I missed that uh, you said Killer Squirrels, a love story by Rowan Parrish. And I really feel like maybe that's a challenge that I brought on myself into the world and now I'm going to make happen. Well, you can write it to me one chapter at a time. <laughs> I won't say no, you know. <laughs> I think we have a few people typing, so maybe there are a couple of questions. But um, I'm trying to think of, we've talked about so many things. I could um, circle back to uh, like 10 points in our conversation probably and dig in deeper. It's been really, really fun visiting with you about all this stuff. Oh, it's been so lovely. I really am glad that you all have um, indoctrinated me into the world of Discord. I'm going to start looking. Yeah, we're going to get all the romance authors onto Discord. Yes. Yeah, that's our, that's our master plan. Well, just the ones that we read. I don't know. I <laughs> need all of them. Okay, we do have a question from, from Dead End Mind. Um, I'd like to ask a bit more about the mental health issues that are so well represented in your books. I don't really have a question, but maybe you'd like to elaborate a bit more about why these issues are important to you. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, uh, so I've written about a lot of different mental health issues in my books, um, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, uh, addiction of various kinds, um, anger disorder. Um, and I think that one of the things that, I mean, partly because 
I really relate with all these things. Um, and like I've experienced a lot of these issues in my own life. Um, but I think what at the risk of like sounding really silly about it, I just think almost everyone suffers from these things. Like not that every single person has every single issue, of course, but like I am hard pressed to identify a single person that I'm friends with who has not at one time in their life um, experienced something that they would call a mental health issue. And so um, to me, it's not an outlier or like a an uncommon thing. It really is the status quo. And the fact that those things are talked about as sort of um, extreme cases does a lot of harm, I think. So talking about somebody who experiences depression or anxiety as like the extremity rather than just something that a lot of us experience in different ways at a lot of different moments, it it um, it changes the way we talk about those things with those of us who have children or those of us who have um, who are healthcare professionals or our lawmakers or um, you know all the people who whose job it is to decide which which resources to allocate to which things. If those people are thinking about um, depression or anxiety as something uncommon and and strange, then they're not going to give it a lot of money or a lot of time or attention. Um, but if more of us who know that those things are are really prevalent are writing about them more and talking about them more, then I have to hope that the more of us who do that, the more those things are front and center and can have real world effects where people are saying like, oh, I just read a book about that. Oh, my cousin just had that thing. Oh, you know, so the more we write about it, the more we talk about it, the more um, attention these issues get. I think the more material support they will get in the world. And what that means is that there, there will be more people who, when they're in seventh grade and they are super angry for no reason and they can't figure out why, instead of thinking that makes them a bad person, they will go to their guidance counselor and be like, I think I have an anger disorder. I read about it in blah, 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 or I saw it on a video game or whatever. And then that counselor can be like, yeah, great. Here are the resources that we have for you. Um, and that just could make the difference in the way someone's entire life unfolded. Um, it, mental health issues are a huge root cause of why certain populations end up overrepresented in prisons. And if they had had access to medication, counseling, help earlier in their lives or at all, then they wouldn't have um, ended up committing crimes to try to assuage those things or um, exacerbated by those things. So I think on like a real um, wor like material world level, it's super important just to talk about those things as much as we possibly can. Um, and then in terms of like putting those things in a, in the context of romance novels in particular, um, there's this tendency that romance novels have had in the past that I do think is really changing and has changed over the last five or 10 years. And I hope will keep changing. Um, but there used to be this idea that romance in romance novels was a fantasy. Um, we read romance novels because that's where we would find the relationships, like the perfect relationships that didn't exist in real life. And in those perfect relationships, people didn't have mental health issues. If you were anxious or depressed or suicidal or rageful or addicted, you know, those were things that you like shut up about. So you didn't uh, scare away the the perfect prince who was going to sweep you off your feet, or they just didn't exist at all. And I think that it's so important to represent people who are doing a lot of work on themselves and with therapists and with medication and other, um, other uh, therapies, like doing work on themselves because they care about their partners and they want to be better partners to them because they care about their self themselves. And they, they know that like, the way to to show up for the people that you love is to show up for yourself first. Um, so I know that was a really long answer, but I think that like both individually uh, in the, at the level of changing the discourse of mental illness, the more we can talk about those things, the better. I think it's great. I've recently dived into romance, and I think it's been at the perfect time where people 
are talking about these things and I think it's just made for some really amazing stories. I'm so glad. So another question from Virginia. Uh, so wondering about Simon's username, Simple Simon. Mm-hmm. Given his reaction, Jack called him at that first. I'm wondering why he chose it. Was it a burst of self-deprecation and speak to Simon's character? Or was it author's choice to set up a small misunderstanding? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it was a burst of self-deprecation. And it was one of the things that I wanted to plant um, right from the beginning so that when you looked back on it, you could see like, this is not a shrinking violet of a character. This is a person who has a lot of humor about um, the challenges he faces, who is able to re- to like reclaim negative things that have been said to him and use them for his own purposes. Um, and so that later on when he is self-deprecating in a humorous way or sassy, that that like really um, resonated. And then also, so there was that was the first layer. And then there was the second layer where if you go back and you read that part, um, there's this little moment where you see Simon forget that he had na- that he had chosen that as his username. And he like in that instant, you see the the layering of him remembering being called that and getting like pissed off about it for a second and then remembering like, oh yeah, I I made that my username. So that also was to show his character that like he had been hurt with that word before, but also that his um, instinct was anger, not fear. Um, And so like a lot of those little choices that I made were to try to um, give Simon some more dimensionality, even in the moments before we before he opened up to Jack and like uh, we were able to see his his personality come through. Um, okay, from I'm just making sure I'm reading the next one from Drew. Which of your books is your favorite in audiobook so far? How does it feel to hear somebody else give voice to your characters? Okay, so I have to confess something to you, which is that I have only listened to two of my books in audio in audio. And those books are Out of Nowhere and Where We Left Off, which are books two and three in the middle of Somewhere series. And that is because the um, narrator who reads them is amazing and wonderful. Um, But he, uh, we worked together on those books and he would send me each chapter as he was working on it. His name is Spencer Goss, should have said. Um, He would send me each chapter as he was working on it to be like, am I getting the pronunciations right? Is this going the way you wanted to? And he really took it so seriously as an artist. And so of course I listened to them and gave him feedback. He is amazing and a genius. Um, Not listen to any of my other audiobooks because I, I, I can't listen to them. Not because they're not good. I I think they're amazing, but I mean, I think that the, the narrators do an amazing job, but I get really like a little bit squirmy and self conscious. Um, and so the the favorite of mine is definitely out of nowhere because I felt like Spencer Goss got Colin, the character, so completely. He he told me when we were working on those books that he really related with that character. Um, and I think you can tell in the performance. I think it's just amazing. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like what it hears or what it feels like to hear someone else give voice to my characters, I think that was a really amazing way to hear voice given to my characters and there were a few a few moments where uh, there would be things like choices that Spencer would make that were not the way I heard it in my mind but you know the thing about when you write a book in print and people are reading it is five different people can read can read the sentence with like five different emphases or uh intonations or whatever and you never know it because they're reading it on their own without you um and you can't control it. Whereas hearing Spencer like make these choices, even though they weren't always the choices that I would make, um, it was cool. And it just reminded me that that is the experience that all my readers are having, which is like, not, they don't have my voice in their head uh, telling them like, oh no, sorry, the um, emphasis is on the third word. Cause that's really what makes it the funniest or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that that's perfect because that's about all we had time for on the member questions. So like I said, anybody who didn't an- get a chance to ask their question or comes up with another one, you can ask in the author's Q&A channel and Ron will get to it hopefully this I'll week. I will. And please feel like ask me anything. I mean, I'm happy to talk about uh, 
other like all aspects of you know the world <laughs> that's awesome so what's the best way for people to follow you in your writing um probably the best way is my newsletter um i usually send about a monthly or three weekly newsletter where i keep everyone up to date on any developments cover reveals new sales or whatever books that are coming out um if you're not a fan so as you can probably tell from the abrupt cutoff, but we sadly lost the last 10 minutes or so of our interview with Rowan. So we just missed out on the last question that we asked her, which was, what were you currently reading and what would you recommend to us? So she had been reading Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas, which is a dark academic, surreal gothic book. Perfect for those who enjoy the secret history. And then during that talk, I had also recommended Plain Bad Heroines by Emily N. Danford, which is another dark academic gothic book and it's got really terrifying things with wasps. Thank you to everyone who was able to join us. Thank you to those listening to the recording right now. And a big thank you to Rowan Powers for joining us. It was great talking to you and we loved having you on. So please do join us for our next spotlight, which will be on January the 22nd. If you want to find out any more information, we've got that all posted on our social medias. Uh, we're called Queer Romance Readers on all of those. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And again, thank you to everyone for joining us. Hope to see you for the next one.